Welcome to Life in the Front Office. Today's episode will feature some folks from College Athletics. Um, I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Marissa Nichols, who is the Director of uh, Leadership and Career Development at Boston University in the Athletic Department, and Nancy Lowe, who has done a variety of things in her career uh, thus far within sports and now focuses on preparing uh, young adults for working in sports in a career in some shape or fashion uh, over at UNLV. So I'm extremely honored to have the two of them on here today and uh, looking forward to talking college athletics and, and getting into sports. Nancy, Marissa, how are you? Doing great, Jake. Thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, doing well. Thanks, Jake, for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kick this off with Marissa's background a little bit. Uh, to say the least, you've done a couple things. So if you want to kick it off and talk about how, uh, how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I guess I started in Southern California, which is a long ways away <laughs> from the East Coast, but I had an opportunity to play softball at UNLV and played for a really fantastic coach who actually just won the national championship last year with Florida State softball. Oh, wow. And she really focused on developing us as people. And that led to um, some tremendous performance increases. And so for me personally, I was able to reach the highest level of my athletic um, career as a first team All-American and got to play for the USA team. Um, and then from there, I actually had a few different injuries for a succession of years, which taught me a lot about who I was beyond being a, a good softball player. And during that time, I was able to uh, earn my master's while I was an athlete because of those injuries. Um, so my training was in counseling. And then I worked a year in K-12. And I had my sights set on a doctorate. And I was initially pursuing sports psychology. And uh, actually, it was some really wonderful conversations with Nancy um, that led me back to an opportunity at UNLV uh, to study in the higher ed leadership program under her while pursuing a grad assistantship at my alma mater. So I switched my career path a little bit, ended up falling in love with the work I do, which I was doing the work I'm doing now at BU, but as a graduate assistant at UNLV and I really developed my own, um, you know, framework and understanding of what was important to me in that program. And so much of that is a credit to Nancy. And that includes understanding student-athlete success. And so my research examines what characteristics are among different types of performers, um, what internal characteristics should we be developing in our students to help them reach more optimal levels of performance and just overall life experience. And so I've taken that training and uh, was able to finish my doctorate, uh, delivered our commencement address, and then two weeks later started this job at BU in a brand new position and new department. And I've been here a little over a year and a half, and it's been, it's been really great. Well, and with all that experience thus far, you're, uh, I, I think, you know, in our conversations, 
you are, you are still the only one in your department, right? So it's, there's a lot of work to be done and I know you enjoy it, but to get to, to where you want to be ultimately, um, I think we can touch on Nancy's background and, and she's got a similar story, but one that's always different as, as everyone's path is different. Nancy? Yeah, thanks, Jake. I, um, well, I'm full disclosure, quite a bit older than Marissa, and I assume <laughs> you as well. So part of why my path is, is distinct and different is because things were different in the industry when I came through. So I actually, um, I competed as a scholarship student athlete, but it was a relatively new experience. Um, I was very fortunate in that I ran cross country and track and field at Adams State, which is a division two school, but I ran for kind of like Marissa's story. I ran for a coach that was an Olympic level, um, incredible, amazing coach and continues to this day in his eighties to be coaching elite athletes. So I, I was exposed to, you know, what it means to be an all American, to be a national champion, and even was surrounded by a couple of Olympians during my time as an athlete. And that inspired me to want to be a coach. Uh, so I went into coaching initially and did that at the high school level and then the collegiate level. And unfortunately, my career transpired when gender equity was really sort of just a concept. It wasn't enforced. It wasn't clearly well-defined. And so what that led to was the experience of, um, you know, having cuts made to our program that weren't, weren't made to men's programs on the men's side. That was justifiable back then. And also, you know, some of the things that are happening now, some of the sexual harassment things that are going on um, were happening then as well to my student athletes. But the culture was to just sweep it under the rug. Um, and because of that, I left coaching and pursued my doctorate to try to actually educate others on gender equity, Title IX, and, you know, create a much different environment than the one that I had experienced. So fast forward a number of years, I've my research is always focused on um, sport marketing and in particular the value that women's sport brings to the industry. So that's more of a positive perspective. I still hold that there's a great deal of value not realized um, out of women's sport, whether it's at the collegiate level, professional level, Olympic level. And so with that, I, I've always been mindful of developing um, women to work in the industry specifically. I've, I mean, obviously I work with guys and, I've probably had more male students than females over the years, but it gives me great pride when I have people like Marissa come through and go on to do amazing work, uh, especially crafting her own sort of niche and a niche that's really growing now out of need uh, in intercollegiate athletics. So, yeah, it's, a, it's exciting to, to get to do this over the span of many, many years and to be a part of all the changes that have happened in, in the field, whether it's, you know, sport in general or intercollegiate athletics more specifically. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and to kind of provide an example, I mean, you've done quite a few different things. So there's no, there's no one to say that you can't go coach and do something different or go do something in marketing and then become a coach, right? You, you kind of have different phases of that career. And I want to touch on the last point you made with the landscape of student athlete development and, and kind of how that's evolving. Marissa, I know we've had conversations at length with, with the book that I co-authored with student athlete success and transition, you know, talk a little bit about where this part of the industry is going. And um, I know we've, we've talked about how it, how it is growing, even though, you know, there's some departments like your own that, that only have one person and, and that sort of thing. But 
some schools don't even have a department like yours, right? Correct. And they, I mean, when I talk with our athletic director about our progress and progression and, you know, our five-year, 10-year plan, he, he'll share that this position took four or five years uh, to, to put into place. And so, you know, every landscape is different and some schools have the opportunity to potentially add positions um, a little more frequently, but just being mindful that as much as I even want more support just because the vision's really big and I think there's a lot that we can do. It, it does take time. And one of the things that's, one of the things that's helping a lot with that is I think the, the presence of leadership development more nationally it started off, as you know, as NCAA life skills, champs life skills, and now it's NCAA leadership development. It's its own executive branch uh, with the NCAA, and they offer some really great programming and, and training opportunities for practitioners like myself to advance and grow in the field. Yeah, no, absolutely. What I mean, what part of the the industry do you see growing the most for, you know, say people that, that Nancy uh, is teaching or educating, you know, what maybe opportunities exist out there to get involved, to get their start. You know, I, I know you mentioned you had your start at UNLV in a, in a graduate assistantship. Is that kind of the, the way to get your foot in the door? Sure. I would say going back a little bit to answer your, the second part of your question was, the big focus, I, I'd say a few years ago, and, and still is, is the career development, uh, especially with recruits and families wanting to know that there's, a, you know, a, a plan or support in place to support the, the student athlete beyond their career mm -hmm. at that institution. And I'd say more recently, there's been a shift um, to really focusing on the holistic model and one example of that is we've developed a wellness and performance committee within our department that encompasses individuals like myself, strength and conditioning, athletic training, coaches, um, administrators, nutrition, mental health and wellness, which is down campus, not within our, not housed within our department, but getting all these individuals at the table to talk about a more comprehensive approach and think about how we are systemizing our services which uh, is challenging and, and there's not a lot of easy answers sometimes, but that's something that we're seeing trending, I'd say more in departments uh, with support staff. And then as far as opportunities, graduate assistantships are definitely a great way to get involved, internships, even um, working in a department voluntarily just to get in. I know Nancy and I talked a lot about that in the beginning of my career. Once, you know, getting in, is um, challenging once you're in, you know, that's really helpful in getting you to that next stage. Sure. And both of you obviously have very uh, successful educational backgrounds with, with your doctorates. Nancy, is there something about, you know, the education within college athletics that kind of gives you that leg up? Yeah, I, without question. It's uh, that's a good question to pose Jake, because um you know, I think that's one of the shifts that we're seeing both with the NCAA and then with our our more progressive athletic directors. And that's this notion that, you know, this education that you're getting, the degree that you take away from your institution 
has real value and really trying to help our student athletes focus more on that aspect of, of their experience. Not to say that it in any way diminishes their experience as a student athlete, because that's always going to be at the forefront of, you know, why they come to the university. We know that whether we like it or not, it's true. Um, but along the lines of what Marissa is working on at Boston, we have something similar happening here at UNLV because we have a new, I, I call her new athletic director, even though she's been here over a year now, but same thing. She's created this culture where, you know, we have a, a integrated system, um, the holistic approach to the student athlete being the focus of that, the mental and physical and emotional well-being of the student athlete being the focus of that. And then very specific structured approaches to career transitions. So really helping our senior student athletes on their path to what's next. And that might be a job or that might be graduate school. But uh, in years past, that was really kind of just left up to them or left up to, you know, whatever services were provided by the university which we also know student athletes are typically not good at taking advantage of those kinds of services <laughs> unless they're housed within athletics. So sure. this is a, yeah, it's a really interesting time where we're seeing a lot more um, intentional effort to help our, our student athletes make that transition from, you know, the college experience to actually being a working professional. Yeah. Well, and you're kind of in charge of the, the sports management landscape there at, at UNLV and in terms of trying to get uh, students into the sports industry. Is there, and then we know that there's, you know, 350 plus schools now that have a sports management degree, but when you talk to your students uh, and, you, and you look back at maybe how you approached your student athletes, would you recommend that those who do want to get into sports try and look at uh, the graduate school courses or degrees uh, before they go and get experience or in between? What is, what does that piece of advice look like? That's interesting. So Marissa shared with you that she had um, worked a little bit outside of the industry and then came back. And that's always something that, you know, is encouraged that especially folks take that opportunity to not only get experience, but make certain they're clear on where they, where their passions lie. Mm -hmm. You're, you're right. A hundred percent. We have so many sport management degrees out there now that we're producing a lot of students that, you know, may or may not have what it takes to work in the industry. Cause everyone will tell you it takes a deep level of commitment um, and a lot of patience and persistence even to make it to a position that, perhaps is the one you, you think you want to have at the height of your career. Um, something that I think is really sets us apart. So UNLV and, and even Marissa's experience, the thing that has set us apart is we aren't a traditional sport management degree. So we are actually housed, our intercollegiate athletic emphasis program is housed within a higher education program. And that's a very different lens that our students have uh, with regard to the whole system. So they're looking at the university system as a whole and the place of intercollegiate athletics within that versus when you come through sport management, because I've done both, uh, both sides of, of academe, everything is about the business side of sport. Everything is about sport. And we mm -hmm. lose sight of the broader context that intercollegiate athletics is within. So I think it adds quite a lot to 
the experience of students who come through a program like ours where you get to understand certainly the intercollegiate athletics landscape and all that's offered there because there are lots and lots of places where people can develop their career just within college athletics mm -hmm. but they also get to understand the broader context um, that intercollegiate athletics works within not just the broader sport industry Sure. Well, I mean, college athletics as a business, there's, you know, I'm at Purdue right now. There's so many uh, crossovers and layers that go into the university that a lot of people wouldn't think about. Right. And, and I think, you know, looking at um, who's an employee of who, I mean, I think people that fundraise the money for the athletic department are technically employees of the university at, at some schools across the country. Right. And looking at, what it's like to work in college athletics. I want to touch on that point, Nancy. Uh, compared to when you were in athletics, compared to now where Marissa's in athletics, I guess the, the two of you can kind of talk back and forth on what the differences are. And I know, Marissa, we've had our conversations on like a Sunday evening because that's the only time that, you know, both of us are free, right? And, and it's looking, and, and we talk about the grind and that sort of thing. Uh, maybe give us some insights, uh, Marissa, if you want to start first on you know, what a day in, in college athletics is like. Sure. So I always like to think of it in three different phases. On the highest level, I'd say I get to be very strategic and forward thinking because I'm the first in this role, especially, and just because that's part of my value system as a professional. And I get to work on, you know, the the vision and, and where we're headed more strategically. So for example, today I submitted a course leaf proposal uh, to basically um, allow our leadership academy to count towards academic credit with the university. And if I could just do a quick segue, one of the ways I benefited from that model that Nancy shared about intercollegiate athletics um, being housed in higher education, it was there where I learned the importance of the interfacing with the university in the context of higher education. And so how that shaped me is uh, one example this year, we partnered formally with our Questrom School of Business. And so I get to sit at the table with these amazing faculty and staff members who teach organizational behavior and team dynamics and culture and uh, communication and all these executive skills within the business school at BU. Now we're all working together and developing what we're hoping is some world-class curriculum based on all of our areas of expertise. And then from there, we're all sharing and, and taking turns facilitating within our leadership academy. And so I don't know if I would have um, taken that role as I don't know if I would have initiated that as confidently if I didn't have that training to see, wow, what's possible with on, like on our campus and how can we really integrate? And now we have this team of people that are teaching within our leadership academy. And our vision is to make this something that we offer to the entire campus beyond our student athletes. So that's, that's really, that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. So just as a small segue, and that includes like the syllabus today and being able to offer credit for our leadership academy, which would be a, a really value add, uh, thinking about all the leadership academies nationally. And there's very few that, you know, are aligned with earning academic credit. So that would be 
that would be great. And so that's more strategically, I'd say in the middle, I have the chance to facilitate programming sessions um, with our coaches, our student athletes. I work a lot with our team captains. I do a lot of leadership consultation with coaches. And um, I'd say a lot of like the programmatic elements fall in that middle category of all the logistics from, you know, the design to the execution to the follow-up and assessing the progress and success, which is also really important to me. And then I'd say more on the ground floor, I even take care of all the, um, all the behind the scenes work, the, the things that aren't as glorious or as um, maybe fun at times, but that's just a part of the whole picture. So hopefully that gives some insight as to what the day is like. Nancy, how does that, how does that differ from your experience, especially as a coach? Well, yeah. Um, so I coached a sport that has no off season. Uh, so <laughs> literally, uh, we have cross country, indoor, outdoor, so there is no off season. And I know that increasingly other coaches would tell you the same thing. There's no real off season, but we truly were competing year round and summer was just time for recruiting and training for fall. So, um, you know, the life of a coach for sure is one that starts very early in the morning. And I know the life of an administrator does as well. I get texts from our AD at 530 in the morning. She's known for that. But, you know, same thing <laughs> as a coach, um, especially when I was in Texas, we had to be up and, and training first thing in the morning because it was so hot out that it would compromise our ability to, to perform if we waited until later in the day. But, you know, that juggling act that is so very important and we hear about for student athletes of balancing their academics with their with their training schedule. It's it's the same thing for coaches with trying to balance everything that goes into, you know, the quality of the coaching, especially if you have, you know, a wide variety of, of, in my case, events that people have to train for. And so you have to be an expert in. Um, and then you have all of the other things that you have to do as a coach logistically that like Marissa was referring to go kind of, they're kind of the back seat, the stuff that no one really sees. And even when you have some support staff, you know, it's, there's still just so much to do from the recruiting end to the, the business end of it. We often forget that coaches are running a small business in a lot of ways. So yeah, the grind of college athletics is real, but it's also, um, you know, the people that, that are there and work in the field are passionate about what they do. And that's part of what sustains everybody, right, is the energy that you bring and the energy that others bring. I think one of the things I've observed most recently, and I love hearing Mar Marissa talk about the incredible innovative work that she's doing at Boston, because it, it truly is, is very, very forward um, thinking on her part and, and the integration of faculty with the athletic department, that is, in my mind, an idealized model where we don't have this, you know, this big chasm between the athletic department and the rest of the university. A truly functioning, highly functioning athletic department, in my mind, is now more integrated with the entire institution and, you know, benefiting from one another and reciprocation as opposed to this kind of autonomy model. So really, I love hearing um, how Marissa is making that happen at Boston. And I think hers is going to be a model that others are going to be looking to to say, you know, how do we do something like that? Especially when you think about the fact that there, 
despite the fact that these budgets keep going up, we do have finite resources. We can't just keep spending, spending, <laughs> spending our way to success. You know, at some point we have to think about how do we, how do we draw from each other's talents and benefit in that way, as opposed to just, you know, always hiring new people and new specialists and finding new revenue streams. Right. Well, and revenue, I mean, we'd like to think it grows on trees, but there's only so much money to go around. So mm -hmm. um, I want to take a quick break. And, and when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, the leadership that you try and develop in young professionals and, and maybe what you've learned from, from the coaches you played for that you mentioned earlier in the episode. Uh, and then we'll kind of dive into uh, female sports and, and women working in sports. So we'll be right back. And we're back with Marissa and Nancy talking about college athletics, but more importantly, leadership. And they both mentioned earlier in the episode that they played for some really uh, amazing coaches, some really uh, accomplished people that they were around and, and learned from. And I want to talk to them about what maybe they've learned uh, as a player playing for those coaches. And then Nancy, as a coach, what you learned throughout your career that you know, young professionals can adopt as they go throughout their, their career and, and try all these different opportunities as they move up, to, up the ladder in sports. Because at the end of the day, a lot of those lessons are transferable. Marissa? Sure. So I mentioned that I had the opportunity to play for play at UNLV for Lonnie Alameda, who's currently at Florida State. And as mentioned, I think she comes from the paradigm that's actually has a terminology, um, person over player. It's derived from the what drives winning framework uh, that's been popularized uh, recently. And I think one of the few things that I really take away from that is she really invested in, in us as who we were individually. And then that only allowed us to elevate our performance and want to uh, play for not only ourselves, but her and, and the program and, and our peers. I see a lot of shift actually more recently when I was playing, it was my world and I was so tied and tethered to my athletic identity. And I find that um, in my current situation that still happens, but because I think there's a lot more opportunities for students and we're at an institution where um, it's pretty rigorous academically. Um, I think we're in a place now where internships are stressed at the onset of coming into higher education where before, you know, you might've had one in, in the later part of your years. Now there's that stress and pressure of, of acquiring one early on. So I think um, there's been a small shift, whereas I, a lot of times it was just about the athletic identity. And I think in some cases it, it can be more like truly more about the student athlete experience and, and everything that they bring to the table. And I think that that shifts just based on like culturally where things are or what that institution um, values. And even it might look different across, you know, power five versus group of five um, conferences. And I'd say another um, important quality is, you know, just the value of, um, a lot of transferable skills that I know Nancy will be able to touch on, but just resilience and dedicating yourself to the mission. And, you know, though they always told us it wasn't, you wouldn't remember like who was the home run leader 
uh, for softball two years ago. Like it's really hard to name that person oftentimes, but I know what people do remember is how you carried yourself and how you made people feel and what you were about and what you stood for and how you reacted after a bad game or bad performance. And so those are the lessons that um, I think still carry with me today. Yeah, oh, that's great. And Nancy, I mean, how do how do those things kind of translate into the workplace based on your experience and, and as a as a coach? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I really have noticed lately in particular, I don't really know why, but, um, you know, one of the things we do really, really well in athletics as a coach, as an athlete, even as athletic departments is we set goals and we measure them. And, you know, whether that's, you know, the, the goal of setting a personal best in a race, or that's the goal of how many, like Marissa's case, you know, what your, what your batting average is, those sorts of things. We sort of take it for granted in, in, a, in athletics that like we always have these metrics that are helping us to see if we are achieving our goals. But we're also, we also always have these coaches that are saying, hey, let's, let's get some clarity on what we're trying to achieve here. And then let's see if we achieved it, right? Which sounds very basic and doesn't, it's not rocket science, but the truth of the matter is the place where so many businesses go astray, where so many people go astray, is they don't have clear goals. They don't have clear metrics and a time frame. And so they just kind of meander or wander out there, not sure why they're not making progress. And so to me, that's one of the things that, that athletes, one of the advantages that athletes come away with um, and that coaches typically do quite well. And then certainly athletic administrators, the good ones, do it well also, you know, having these clear goals, these clear metrics, and being able to adjust, right? If we didn't achieve a goal, it doesn't mean we failed. It simply means we've got to figure out what our next goal is and where we went wrong so we can improve the next time. And I, I love that cycle. If we all employ that cycle going forward in our lives, looking at it as a constant opportunity for improvement and um, setting higher and higher goals, you know, there's a great deal of motivation in that. Um, you'll just find over the course of a career that you've accomplished things that other people will just be astounded by, <laughs> quite honestly, because a lot of people, like I said, aren't, aren't that clear on what they're trying to achieve. So it's not rocket science, but it is something that is just such a benefit of the student-athlete experience. And the other one that I think, um, you know, people can talk about it in the negative, but I also believe that it's a positive you all talked about the grind and the commitment and the time invested in what you do. Well, the truth is, you know, we all increasingly have to be good at managing our time and knowing what our priorities are. And so, yeah, student athletes are faced with that on a regular basis. Coach, all of, you know, as a coach, you, you push your athletes to get the very best out of them. But part of that process is really learning how do I prioritize the things that matter most and how do I, get more focused on where I put my energy. And again, that's such an important lesson to learn and to take away from athletics, because if you can do that consistently every day, if you can start your day thinking about the one thing that you really have got to get done, the one thing you really have to focus on, it'll make the rest of your day successful when you knock that one thing down at the very beginning of your day. And then the last thing I would say, as far as, you know, lessons of leadership we take from coaches as athletes is 
actually confidence. You know, we, we gain so much in the competitions that we're a part of the losses sometimes being every bit as meaningful as, as the wins. So, you know, the challenges that we face, as Marissa said, the, the person that you are in how you represent yourself, you know, in a loss as much as a win, the confidence that you take away from that is something that you can build so much on going forward in your career. So I think there's just, you know, I'm clearly you can tell I'm a huge advocate for the student athlete <laughs> experience. Um, but I just, I think there's so much that, that is just so beneficial to people in all levels at all levels of athletics. Absolutely. I mean, and I don't know if it's a coincidence or unique, but I mean, I was a former student athlete as well. So having, three of us have been working in sports and having been former student athletes. I don't know if there's a trend, but uh, coincidence or not, you know, clearly we've, we've learned skills that have helped us uh, get to where we are in our careers. And I would segue that to the career development aspect of things. Marissa, you've kind of gotten yourself to, to this role and Nancy, you, you've progressed through many what is maybe some advice for, for those young professionals starting out in developing a strategy from a career development perspective? Obviously, you never know where your path is going to lead, but what is maybe a strategy to your point, Nancy, about creating goals and setting them uh, that, that people could take away from? Marissa, you want to start? Sure. I actually had this conversation with a student today uh, who's interning in our office. I think getting clear and having clarity, of course, is like foundational and a very big part of that. And I think that comes with like what Nancy was saying about being, knowing, you know, what your goals are and what you're working at, working for and, and really doing that work and having to look within and think about what kind of skills do you want to develop and what kind of experiences do you want to have? I think a lot of times students get caught up in, you know, their first job title or salary. They tell me they want a six-figure salary out of college. I told them, <laughs> let me know when you find that. And <laughs> just trying to ground them in this idea that if you're engaging in the things that fuel you and light you up inside and you en you're doing meaningful work, that is going to grow into what will be that dreamlike position for you one day. And I think the, the hard work, though, is getting clear on what that is and what, what that looks like. And so oftentimes just thinking about what students enjoy um, engaging in, what kind of skill sets they have, what their strengths are, um, thinking about them more holistically, what kind of environments they like to see themselves in, uh, what kind of, um, you know, work situations or contexts are aligned with their values. Those are things that that we should be thinking through. And then there's a lot of tools to do that, but having that clarity really sets us up nicely for exploring that Avenue and then complimenting what Nancy said, just being laser focused on that. And in another area I'd, I'd say is thinking about who is in our network and ex really building those relationships. When I was in probably the last two or three years of my PhD program with um, under Nancy, I, was a lot of networking. Um, should probably will recall I would go on different visits and I would say, hey, here's what I'm doing at UNLV. Would love to speak with you further about your programming. And 
thinking about what I could offer to them and how I could add value to them and also working to make a meaningful connection so that they would think of me when it was time to, you know, pursue a full-time position. Sure. Well, and, and Nancy, I guess you kind of see a different, you know, group of students now um, than, than maybe you did when you had your student athletes, when you were coaching and what Marissa just talked about doesn't just apply to student athletes. It applies to everyone. Right. But maybe how have you seen things shift and, and strategies shift in, in developing, you know, a career? Yeah. It, Marissa had some really sage advice. <laughs> she really, um, she's absolutely been a model for, like she talked about the relationship building piece. Um, you know, from a leadership standpoint, when we think about leadership theory, I actually can boil it down a lot to, um, you know, one of my students years ago handed me a little placard that said R is greater than T. And I looked at that and thought, what in the world is this supposed to mean? <laughs> and he's like, it's what you've been teaching all semester. Relationships are greater than tasks. And that, that sounds really, again, very simplistic, but the fact is, some of us get too caught up in, in being productive, like I got to knock this down, got to get that done. And too often it's at the expense of a relationship, right? Whether that's personal, professional, what have you. And the truth of the matter is so much of what we do, we have to do with and through people. So, you know, we work together um, to make things happen. We don't do things by ourselves. And so the description that Marissa provided about the relationship building that she did. Um, it's, it's honestly exemplary. That is one of the best things that folks can do to advance their career. She doesn't know how those, those investments will pay off down the future, but I can tell you, she's still investing in those kinds of relationships now. And that's, what's going to be the biggest um, growth opportunity for her in the future. And the other thing that, that I would add to that, so, you know, being the academic, I have to bring sort of a new, some of the new research that's out there. And um, there's this whole new field called positive psychology, and I'm sure Marissa's familiar with this. So there's a, a model for well-being that aligns with what they call happiness research. In other words, what makes people happy. And quite honestly, a lot of people aren't happy right now with what they do in their lives. And not talking about intercollegiate athletics, I'm just talking in general. <laughs> Right. But um, what makes people happy is, is a lot of, again, what Marissa was talking about. So meaning, what meaning you take from your work, engagement, how engaged you are with what you do and the people you do it with. And, and again, that meaning piece of, you know, why, how does it matter to you? And that all, when that aligns with your personal values, then you really find that those are the folks that are, that are happy, that are truly, you know, finding what they're looking for in their their life experience, their work experience. And the truth of that, you know, we're finding through research is it matters more to people to be in that space than to make that six figure salary. Right. So the six figures come eventually if you're, <laughs> you know, pursuing that path of meaning and engagement, at least in theory, um, yeah. but in theory, you know, <laughs> yeah. But if you're, if you're not getting that along the way, then I would, I would, and Marissa can attest to this, I would suggest people, you know, kind of hit the pause button and really think about what is it that, that will bring that to your life because you are going to perform at a much higher level, be more productive, 
and be happier when you are in fact engaged and finding meaning in what it is that you do. Sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing those insights and, and the latest research. And I, it's something that I think a lot of people think about and then they kind of just start to decide and, and they revisit it six months later. And, and it's almost something that could be brought to the, the forefront of a thought every week. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I think back to the, the 10 plus episodes we've done so far and to Marissa's point about relationship building, I don't think it matters what we're talking about on this podcast. Somehow relationship building and networking comes up from someone. Uh, so clearly there's a, there's a theme there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that was a great way to kind of to recap everything, but I do want to have one last topic. And Nancy, I know you've been, you've, you've done a lot of work on this, but women in sports and, and there's a lot of work going on and in, in across the country and in, in the industry for diversity and inclusion and et cetera. Not that it's not been there, but there's certainly more of a uh, public focus. Can maybe you touch on, you know, are there pieces of advice that you give females to, in trying to get into sports differently than males or is it across the board the same thing? It is definitely not across the board the same thing. Um, there are, there's a whole host of things there. You're right. Cause I've studied it for years. Uh, and Marissa can tell you, I just brought to my publisher a book that'll be out in 2019 on the business of women's sport. And we dive deeply into a lot of these things from multiple perspectives. Um, and that, by that, I mean, marketing media, you know, just all sorts of different areas, but probably two really key things and, Some of these are observations from colleagues who work directly in the industry. But one of the things that women really have to begin to understand is the ability to talk about money and to be able to talk in those terms um, confidently. So what unfortunately happens to a lot of young women getting into the industry is they'll say things like, you know, they want to they want to do something to give back. They want to do something. Uh, for the community. And that kind of language, it's very meaningful, um, but it's not the kind of language that says I'm going to be in a leadership position and I know how to not just manage people, but manage revenue and finances and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. I've consistently told any and all of my students, if if you want to get to the top position in any organization, you're going to have to know how to handle money and how to um, you know, generate revenue. I mean, that's just the reality of the world we live in, even in sport. So that is something that men do far better than women. They're much more comfortable talking about those aspects of their skill set. And women are much less likely to talk about those aspects of their skill set, even when they have it, even when they've developed it. So just some of it has to do with how they present themselves, right? And that's that's so very sure. important because those gender distinctions are the very things that will get, um, you know, new guys into the industry, into some positions that are going to lead to advancement versus, you know, women getting into positions that are not going to lead to advancement. So that's, that's one key piece. Um, and then the other key piece that just absolutely has to be said is, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated right now with how we create male allies for women and, uh, you know, diversity allies in general. 
So, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. The truth of the matter is men still are in the power position in sport, pretty much in every area. And so if they don't have a vested interest or consciousness around helping women to, you know, advance and, and helping people, other diverse people to advance, then we're just going to continue to see the same thing that we've seen for years and years and years. So there really does have to be a consciousness raising um, and, and a more just genuine um, intention, I would say, among men, too, that, you know, this is good for the industry and it's, it's good for you as a leader to have a more diverse group of people that you work with. Sure. No, I appreciate you sharing those, those points. And, you know, a lot of people have different opinions, but um, I think it's everything's valid. And, and, you know, looking at how, you know, for Marissa, like when you talk to uh, the football player versus the volleyball player, do you, you know, do you approach uh, it differently with based on the, you know, the career fields that they want to go into? Our equivalent here for football would be men's ice hockey. We, um, I would say, just because we don't have uh, football. Yeah, I, know, I should know that. No, that's okay. <laughs> just, to, just to be clear for the audience. Sure. You know, I, I try not to think about it because I, I don't want to put people in, uh, like, make assumptions. I try not to approach it thinking of like sports specific and at the same time, it, it's a reality. So I think just being aware of where that person is at um, mm -hmm. in our leadership Academy, um, we've defined out our six core skill sets or competencies that we are working to develop um, and apply and measure within our students. And so one of them is real world experiences and building a meaningful network and or that's two of them actually, <laughs> but, the, but they're, they're, they're well, they're well-rounded. So there's, it's not just about, um, you know, where they're at specifically in their sport, but thinking about, you know, beyond um, how we're developing some of those skills. So, I mean, admittedly, it, it does look different with each sport, um, but kind of recognizing and being aware of where that person is at individually and, and having those harder conversations, I think is important. Yeah, I mean, and, and the key term that I think jumps out right there to Nancy's point is just awareness, right? If, if the awareness is there, then there can be education, uh, et cetera, and, and there can be progress uh, amongst the industry. So I appreciate the, all the time, uh, Nancy, Marissa. It's, it's been fantastic talking to, to, to the two of you about college athletics, student athletes, um, and, and the development and leadership of young individuals. We really enjoyed having you on today. Look forward to uh, definitely talking again soon in the near future. Uh, and as the, as the industry always shifts and there's no, there's no uh, right way about going uh, about a career path and there's always new research uh, to Nancy's point, I'm actually looking forward to, to reading your book that's coming out here in, in the new year. So I'll definitely, what's the title for, for our audience listening? Uh, it's the handbook on the business of women's sport. All right. Awesome. Definitely have mm -hmm. to uh, look that one up. So appreciate the time. Uh, if you liked our episode today and want to listen to others, please follow us on Apple, I Apple podcasts on iTunes. 
or Spotify and tweet at Life Front Office. Follow us on LinkedIn and look out for our episodes on, on Mondays. Appreciate it and enjoy the week. Thanks.